What's going on, guys? Back with another episode of Three Balls and a BLP. Got a very special guest here tonight. I'm going to get into some of his little accolades here, see if you can guess who he is before I get to the end of it. And uh, we'll just get it going here. So we got the 2012 ACC Player of the Year, the ACC All-Time Passing TD Leader, Clemson All-Time Passing Yards and TD Leader, First Team All-American in 2012, two-time first team All-ACC, ACC champion in 2011, Orange Bowl champ in 2014, and he's the host of the Taj Boyd podcast. Name is right there for you. We got Taj Boyd on. Taj, what's going on, man? How are you? I just got to know. The beer can popping was pretty awesome, bro. It took me back to my shotgun days. Is it? I mean, what are we drinking? Are we drinking this this new stuff or are we drinking domestic? Oh, we're drinking Bud Light. Oh, man, my gosh, you know. Always. I can dig it. Always. Uh, so uh, many different kinds of kinds, man. You know, I'm, I'm more of a, of a Bud Light, Miller Light, PBR guy myself, so I can appreciate it, you know. It's good. It's good. Yeah. Got to keep it simple. Got to keep it simple. <laughs> yeah. but, but what's going on, man? How are you? How are you holding up with what's what's new in your world? It's wild, man. You know, um, a lot of uncertainty. You know, a lot of chaos. Um, I do think it's interesting, though, that, I mean, every time something happens to the point where it becomes a national crisis, um, how humanity rallies together. So, I mean, there's, you know, there's there's beauty and struggle. There's, you know, beauty and humanity. Um, you just hate that it has to get to these lengths for us to see that um, and understand, you know, what that looks like and what kindness looks like. So, uh, to see the people rally, man, and, and do what they can for their neighbors beside them is awesome. But obviously, you know, you hate the situation that we're in because uh, there's a lot of things happening. You know, there's people getting furloughed. There's people losing their jo- jobs. You know, the stock market isn't what, you know, people want it to be. So, you know, within that, though, you got to try to find peace within the day, man. You got to find joy uh, wherever you can find it. And, um, you know, from that standpoint, man, I just try to smile as much as I can. I try to give me as many air hugs and air handshakes as much as I can and you know just kind of love people from afar man and uh you know it's unusual I've never experienced anything like this uh same thing with you guys so and I'm anxious to see you know when all of this will you know dissolve and be resolved and what it looks like after that yeah man I think you put it best we're just trying to stay as positive as possible it's uh definitely unique I've never experienced anything like it I don't think a lot of people have but it's uh, you just got to keep our heads down, keep on trucking, and and uh, keep it moving. I got to, you know. We need to, you know, curl up, but <clears throat> life's just gonna keep happening, man. So just gotta keep that ball rolling, man. And uh, you know, the crazy part about this too is, you know, it's really about perspective. It's how you look at this situation, and you know, so many people find themselves right now in situations and circumstances that they didn't ever foresee themselves in, but. You know, you could sit there and, you know, you can can wallow and, and really be stuck in that moment. Or it could be an opportunity for you to go in advance and something that you've been wanting to, to try to tap into for a long time. So, you know, if anybody ever wanted to start writing a book, you know, and they've got plenty of free time on their hands, but now is the perfect time. If you ever wanted to record a podcast or, you know, create some sort of marketing uh, strategy, like now is the time to really do that. So hopefully people find ways to really optimize and maximize the days because, you know, with time, you know, you got an opportunity there and that's not something that we get um, afforded to us uh, in our day to day spare time at least. Yeah, absolutely. So what was your project that you're taking on to uh, pass the time that you haven't had the time to do or anything like that? Before? You know what? <clears throat> I, um, it's been business as usual for me. And so I don't really have as, as much free time. I do have the weekends now. So I've been uh, getting more into the in-depth reading that I've been wanting to for a while. I try to wake up either super early or, you know, read super late at night just to try to maximize that. But, you know, I'm in the process of, uh, of writing this book um, about culture, about what it looks like from a craftsmanship standpoint within business, within community, within team. Um, and it's really cool because, you know, some of the best experiences I've had and the best teams that I've ever played for, um, it's because they had some sort of identity, some sort of culture. 
And so I really want to go into a deep dive with that to really explain um, the lengths that people take in order to achieve that because it's the recipe and the formula looks easy, but yeah. mastering that and bringing it all together um, for these things to click and to work, you know, it's harder than people think. So I really want to get some people involved, man, and, um, you know, really do a really big Q&A on that with some of the most prestigious businesses and people uh, within society and really dive in from there, man, because to me it's exciting um, to be on the front end of it, of a culture shift at Clemson, but, you know, now to be in the workforce and understand that it applies in that way too. And I think it's something that people will want to hear. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I don't think, I think you have probably one of the better takes on culture out there because you've been part of some great ones in your, in your uh, very decorated career so far. So I think you're, you putting out a book about culture and things like that. There's nobody better to do that. So that's awesome, man. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, I've always had a bunch of ideas that just popped up in my head. Um, I, you can't even imagine how many app ideas that I had rolled through while I was taking a shower, you know, but now it's time to start putting plan in place and, and just start doing it, you know, just, just be it. And so, yeah. you know, when the year started, I told myself that this is going to be a big year and I'm going to do whatever it takes to make sure that that happens. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, now's the time to do it. Like we said, we got plenty of time. Absolutely. But, uh, all right, so got a couple of super generic universal questions we'd like to ask here. I think I know the answer to this first one, but what's your favorite color? My favorite color? Yeah. Oh, man. Depends, man. You know, I grew up loving blue. Uh, most of my shoes are red. Sometimes I feel like Johnny Cash. I wear some black and some gray. Um okay. And oddly enough, bro, like I'm not a huge fan of purple and orange, you know? Uh, wow. Yeah, so I actually don't own a lot of it. You know, now if it's Clemson, you know, licensed and trademark, sure. And I wear that on game days and everything else of that nature, but I don't really wear that in my daily walk across the community. Uh, but you, do, you see enough of it here in South Carolina on a day-to-day. So, you know, the people wear it for me. There we go. Taj, I got to ask, what was your favorite uniform combination? Um, You know... When we, when we first started, <clears throat> the way it used to work is, and, and now they changed the format. Coach Sweeney changed the format. But when I first got to Clemson, uh, before we started to really shift this culture, they would elect and let the seniors pick the uniforms for game week. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, it was odd combinations, bro. You'll have white jerseys on purple pants or you have purple on white or orange on purple and none of them work because the cleat color didn't work. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you're going to be yeah. doing all these different color combinations, you've got to have a uniform cleat to the point where it's either all white, all orange. No, I don't think all purple will work, but it got to be all white or all orange. So for me, you know, the one thing that I thought was cool was the all orange, and I love the all white. Um, purple is cool. It depends on how in shape you are, though. You know, you usually <laughs> wear that towards the end of the season. And uh, so if you haven't been on that middle plane the way you needed to, you look like a, a, a blueberry or a grape out there with that purple one. So, <laughs> it's a little tricky, you know, but the, the all orange is sick. Uh, the all white is just super clean. I mean, you couple that, man, you throw a little orange arm sleeve on, double the socks up. Yeah, you got a little bit of juice flowing with you, you know, so. But, you know, was- orange, orange helmet with, you know, white jerseys and purple pants, like, it just doesn't work, you know. So that's too much. When I first, when I first was considering Clemson because it was a, you know, my recruiting store was a whirlwind altogether, um, I had to create myself on a video game to see if I would even look right in that uniform. This is back when this <laughs> <laughs> so, you know. That's awesome. Wow, man, that's awesome. You know, because yeah, man, I, I thought I was gonna go to Michigan on my last visit. That was the plan, anyways. And you know, somehow they they talked me into getting over here. And, I checked it out, man, and it was uh, the worst visit that I had, man. But it was just something here. It was something here with the people. It was something with Coach Sweeney. He was obviously the reason that I came here and uh, ended up being an unbelievable decision. Who was the, who was who was the, the Michigan coach at the time? Is that what you're going to say, Mike? <laughs> yeah, uh, Rich Rod. Okay. okay. Yeah, Yeah, you made the or, right decision. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, because uh, Ohio State was – well, at least my dad thought it was set in stone, and I thought it was set in stone. I mean, people ask me all the time, you know, what it really came down to. And, man, once I got that Ohio State offer, I mean, 
that's all I had ever dreamed of. You know, I wore number 10 because Troy Smith wore it when I was in high school. Uh, I went on my visit, and I'm walking in, and it's Eddie George with us, and you got Terrell Pryor as my host, and you got Michael Brewster, uh, who was a center at the time, hosting me, and you got Beanie Wells floating around campus, and you walk into that Woody Hayes Center, and you got all of these accolades and these trophies just spread all out. And I was like, damn, does it get any better than this, you know? And um, I don't know, man. It was it was so, so hard to not go there, man. And, you know, initially when I made that decision, I asked myself, I was like, is this even the right decision, you know? Mm-hmm. Should I have gone to where I've always wanted to go or should I have taken this leap of faith right here? And um, obviously we know how the story turns out, you know, how it yeah. turned out. But, you know, at the time, man, there was just so many risks involved with that decision. So Taj, um, this is this is gonna be a long-winded question, so bear with me. I wanted to ask this a little bit later, but you kind of teed this up. You gave me a great segue. Um, Mike and I were talking about this, and kind of the path that Clemson has gone on over the last couple of years has been incredible. It's been, you know, they are at least I think top two programs in all of college football right now, and they have the the pedigree to continue that. Um, Mike and I think that the teams that you were on, and specifically you, I don't think you get enough credit for helping uh, the Clemson program to get to where it is right now. Um, and I know I don't think you're gonna you're gonna kind of downplay that. So I'm gonna shift the question. Um, what do you think the biggest win over the time that you were there ultimately it helped has helped the Clemson program get to where it is today? Well, it was such a it's a, it's a unique question because it, it's not a simple answer. Like, you know, it was the culmination. Um, like, you know, they haven't won less than 10 games since the year I took over, all right? And, you know, when I took over in 2011, we hadn't won 10 games in however long. That first In that year, we won the ACC championship. First time we won the ACC championship in 20 years. So you could take some of those games and really say, well, you know, them beating Wake Forest to clinch the division was the biggest game, or them beating Virginia Tech in the ACC championship was the biggest game. Or, you know, my next year, we won 11 games, right? And mm-hmm. we played two. And we won 11 games for the first time in 30 years. You know, so everything that, that we did when I was there was the first in, in so long that, you know, I thought that every win was important to creating this culture, to creating this fabric and this underlying root of, what we wanted it to be. And that's, you know, consistency, sustainability, and all of that. But, you know, if you ask the people through the community, they would say that LSU victory um, my junior year was probably the biggest win. And when you look at it on paper, um, I think that it was uh, at that time, at least anyway, simply because, you know, it showed that we could get in the ring with the big dogs and win it. Um, and mm-hmm. when you the whole game without a Sammy Watkins, you know, who gets hurt in the first, second play of the game, you know, you create some legitimacy within that. Um, then the next year, you know, we won 11 and we play Ohio State in the Orange Bowl and we won that game. And so the trek that we were on, I mean, it was almost like, you know, when they finally find a way to get all of these pieces in play, like this team will be very dangerous, very scary for a long time. But obviously there was, you know, a thought stream that there was going to be a low period there. Right. So it's like, all right, well, Taj left. What's next? Then they had uh, Cole Stout come in. Mm-hmm. Has some success, but you know it's tough when you got a Deshaun Watson as a freshman who comes in his first career pass with a touchdown against Georgia. You know, mm-hmm. so you take a guy like that and, and and you have Cole in there, and Cole never really got the benefit of the doubt, of the doubt from the fan base. Um, you know, when they saw that, it was like, why is Cole starting when Deshaun obviously looks like the future? And I think a lot of that comes with some seniority, and a lot of that comes with experience. You can play it however which way you want to, but you know, those wins early on um, were huge, especially when you look at where we were at. I mean, to go from a six and seven season to winning the ACC championship next year in 10 games the next year, mm-hmm. I mean, that's a huge jump and it's really unprecedented. And to see Clemson's, uh, you know, consistency right now and, and the way it looks like it's not slowing down and it's becoming a consistent, stable, you know, powerhouse. I mean, that's, you know, those are those are big deals. Those are big jumps. And I think when you look at it, you know, 10 years from now, and Clemson's still on this run, you're going to say this is the biggest stretch of success in the history of college football. 
It definitely yeah, has a chance. Absolutely. It definitely has a chance, yeah. Well, because yeah, because generally, like you know, every team has their run, right? Florida State, you know, is inevitable. At some point, they're going to find a way to get back to being Florida State. Ohio State's going to have a success. Michigan's going to have a success. Southern Cal, Notre Dame, Florida, um, you know, Wisconsin. Like all these teams are going to find ways to have success. But to see, you know, what Clemson has done and continues to do, man, I just, I just think that it's impressive, especially when you talk about you know, how the conference itself isn't the strongest in the country. Yeah. Yeah, I think the, uh, I mean, you said it best, these programs have like their ebbs and flows of being super successful and then coming back down to kind of rebuild and re-get get back on track. And I think some of that goes with coaching changes and sure. the talent that, that comes and goes. But it is remarkable that, you know, you think of past – think about the past like six seven years of college football it's you know it's alabama and it's clemson consistently at the top right. you know without any drop off so to speak so it's it's been fun to watch from a, a fan's perspective well you gotta, sure. and i get you know as much as you know saving name is, is a curse word here in, in south carolina i mean damn how much credit can you give that guy i mean talk about you know a legend i mean he took over Alabama program and they haven't slowed down since you know and every year it's like they roll in it's like oh well, this team isn't going to be as strong as this last year's team and they find a way to get back in it so I thought I was like you know what man with Tua leaving you know they're and, and, and Jerry and Judy they can't have the success that they've had and then you start looking at it it's like well they might because Matt Jones came in when Tua went down and did the exact same thing that Tua did and then they got the Bryce kid coming in from California and it's like you know what these teams aren't just good because, you know, of their name. They're good because of what's built within that program, the expectation, the workmanship, the craftsmanship, the way these coaches are implementing uh, these strategies into these players. Like, it is a full-on formula over there, and they got to figure it out. Yeah, absolutely. I think, for me, like, the the game that kind of put Clemson on that national stage to kind of stay – was that Georgia game at the start of the season? I think that was your oh, junior yeah. senior year. Senior year, man, that was so live. Was- that game, it was you and Aaron Murray just yeah. dueling it out. That game, I, that's the one that I think of that really propelled you guys from, you know, the team that's coming up and can make that jump to the team that is that jump yeah. that made it. And I mean that game. Well, and it, I mean we had the whole country at attention. I mean everybody was yeah. watching, and you know it was. I've seen some really cool games in Death Valley. Um, and I got a chance to do some of the color commentating last year. And so seeing it from that perspective, of different to playing in it. But, you know, outside of the Notre Dame rain game, I would have to say that that's a Georgia game season opener 2013, you know, 730, 8 o'clock at night was college football at its finest. I mean, it was a beautiful sight. Um, unbelievable pageantry. You know, we still had the balloons at the time. You know, they just stopped doing the balloons. Uh, apparently because, you know, it was killing the ozone. Like, we don't drive 18 wheelers across the, the road every day. Whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, that was that was something, man. And it was a spectacle. And, you know, it's crazy because, you know, you think when you step on that field that your nerves are going to be shot, you know. But that game was just like walking onto the field against, you know, Presbyterian College. Like, you feel the nerves. But you came off the offseason this whole summer knowing what was at stake, right? And you got an opportunity to stake your claim, to go out here and, and show people what you're worth and what you're about. And all that preparation led up to that moment, man. So that was a special way to, to start the season and to, to come out and get the victory 38-35. I mean, come on, man. It was, it was awesome. No better way to start it. Yeah, it yeah. Really not- so – so for those of us that won't be fortunate enough to run down the hill and touch Howard's Rock on game day in Death Valley, describe to all of us what that feeling is like, what the atmosphere is like on a game day for like a re- – I mean, it's the crowd gets up for every game, but what, what what's that like for you knowing you get to go out there and put on a show for these people? Um, It's cool, you know, and it's going to sound real like political because um, I've been asked this question, you know, I don't know, 5,000 times, probably a stretch, maybe a 1,000 times. and you know it's it becomes symbolic you know and and when I took my visit to Clemson I didn't take it 
you know, when it was in the season. I mean, I took my visit like three weeks before signing day. And so I didn't know anything about Clemson. Never watched them on TV. Didn't didn't know what they were. Had 50 offers, but none of them were for Clemson up until the last minute. And so my first time running down the hill was my first time actually seeing it and witnessing it. And it was cool, man. Like, I thought it was a really cool experience, you know. Uh, I wasn't one of those guys because if you look and watch the games, the hill looks pretty steep. You know, it goes a really rapid decline, and then it levels off. And so when it levels, you'll see guys, they'll do something. They'll jump. They'll pose. Um, you know, one guy did the Billy Badass or, you know, the Triple H sign as they were jumping. It was pretty cool, man. But or D-Generation Next, that's what it was. Some of wrestling, man. And yeah. I never really did all of that just because, you know, I had to my ACL in high school, so my knees were already bad, and, and they already felt old at the time. And I was like, <laughs> I'm not about to be that guy that tears everything trying to be uh, trying to be flashy out here, jumping down the hill. So, But it becomes symbolic, man. You look at the top of that hill, and you realize that Saturday is some of these people's saving grace, right? They went from to work on, you know, Monday, worked all the way till Friday, you know, did what they needed to do, saved up, you know, all of their vacation just to watch this one game in the Valley. And you realize, like, that all these people are there to watch you. It's like a modern-day gladiator uh, when you open up them gates and run down that hill. And so you can appreciate the people, man. You appreciate the environment. And you yeah. don't really put things into perspective until the end of that run, right? So, you know, freshman year goes by, you run down the hill and it's whatever, you know. Sophomore year, same thing. Junior year, you know, it's a little bit up in the air because, you know, you may or may not come back. It just depends on what happens. And then senior year, when you know this is the last, you know, few times you're going to run down the hill, everything starts to really streamline and everything changes. So, you know, you get to the hill the first game of the season and you realize, all right, you know, I got six more of these and then it's four and then it's two. And then it's that last one. All right, and on senior day, you run down the hill by yourself. All right, so you stand next to that rock and the guy in the PA booth calls your name out and you're just sitting there in amazement. You got this whole stadium around you just erupting. Um, and cheers and enjoy. You got people crying. You got kids waiting for you at the bottom. And it is um, it's something. It's at that moment that you finally appreciate it. So um, it's special, man. I think it's unlike any other. Um, but, man, it's just, you know, when you finish up with it, you ask yourself, like, did I enjoy it as much as I'm supposed to? You know, and so, you know, my thing right now is, is the big brother to some of these guys, the big homie. I try to tell these guys to just soak all of that up, you know. Um, you want it to be a great time. You don't want that, obviously, to be the best time of your life because, hell, what do you got to look forward to after that? But, you know, you want these guys to, to, to soak that in, man, and really enjoy it for what it is because once it's gone, it's gone. Yeah. I think you just hit – I think you just hit on the head just how impactful college football is, not just to the players and the fans, but just the nation. Um especially with everything going on. I mean, I goosebumps listening to you just talk about that right now. And I'm so excited for this season coming up. Um, but, you know, thanks, thanks for painting a picture for us about what Death Valley is. I know it's, it's correctly named for um, the atmosphere that it provides for college, college football especially. Uh, it's got to be an awesome place to play at home. Uh, what was the hardest place? What was the hardest stadium to go to on away games? Where was the hardest place to play? Um, so my first real experience was Auburn 2010. It was my redshirt freshman year. And this is the year that they won the national championship. So Cam was there, they had Nick Fairley on D-line, you know, the whole bit. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, bro, like the OC at the time was the guy who, you know, he, he was cool with me, but I don't think he ever really liked me, you know? So he never talked to me in meetings. Um, so I didn't know what the hell was going on with the playbook, you know? I just, you know, showed up. You know, worked out in Power Hour, which is a freshman group, go to the meetings, and I would just sit in the back and listen to these guys talk about, you know, a foreign language, to at least to what it sounded like to me, because all I was worried about was going to score and touchdowns on the first team defense on scout team. And, you know, we get to Auburn, and the starting quarterback, Kyle Parker at the time, takes a big shot to the rib by Nick Farley on third down. And, bro, I thought I was about to get in that game, you know. He was like uh, hunched over, couldn't breathe. Talk about he broke his ribs, and Coach Twenty walks over to me and says, "Hey, 
I'm gonna need you to go and win us the game. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, I don't even, I don't even know the point, bro. <laughs> like, you want me to go win the game? I can't even do an outside zone right now, you know. And um, man, fortunately, he found a way to recover in about a six six game or six play stretch because I almost peed down my leg. I was trying to get sideline warm up. <laughs> And I couldn't even get the snap. Like, I was bobbling it and fumbling it. And then, like, the backup quarterback, who was also, like, uh, he was, like, the holder. He was a wedge buster. He was on punt pro. All these different things. He was like, I got it. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, bro. Like, so at that point, was well, the first time it really hit me, like, man, I need to start taking practice a little bit more serious. Because, I, you know, at that point, I never thought I was going to get in the actual game itself. And so, you know, when you get put in that situation, man, you know, you got to figure out a way to – to, to get right mentally. And uh, that was kind of the point for me at that at that particular time. So Auburn was lit. Um, South Carolina, back when I played them at least, I mean, they're trash now. I'm not going to lie to you, bro. <laughs> the people, people come at me and it's like, what's, you know, Taj, you know, as a starter, he was 32 and 8. You know, 80% of your game is pretty damn solid from a team that just went 6 and 7 in years past, you know. And, yeah. you know, we never beat South Carolina. And so, you know, they always talk about, you know, Deshaun never losing in South Carolina, you know, Trevor not losing in South Carolina. I'm like, well, shit, that ain't the same South Carolina team that I played against, all right? Right. You know, I, I couldn't name a player on the defense that them boys played against, to be completely honest, and I probably would have thrown for 400 yards on those defenses. And, we, <laughs> you know, and you got uh, Stephon Gilmore, you got Clowney, you got DJ Swanger, you got Victor Hampton, you got Melvin Ingram. Uh, you know, it was Devin Taylor, bro. Um, Kelsey Quarles, like they had some damn dogs out there, bro. They had uh, eight or nine guys and that defense get drafted out of 11. And, you know, nobody was blocking Clown, let's just be honest. And, you know, DJ Swearinger was a psychopath out there. All right. So, you know, you got these guys. And I'm like, you know, we got to put up 35 points, 38 points just to win the game. And I think that's the difference, too, man. We started talking, and we'll get into this in a little bit, but, you know, we used to have to put up. You know, we had to put up 62 points to beat NC State when I was in school. You know? Yeah. I think these defenses now are giving up maybe 10 points a game. And so when you talk about having to put up, you know, 38 to 40-something points on the top defenses in the country, bro, that's tough to do uh, consistently. You know, we played at Florida State one year. They had the number one defense in the country. Hadn't been scored on all season. We put up 35 points. That should be good enough to win. But we, we gave up 49 points. So it's like, man, like, you know, sometimes you catch yourself in a spot and you start second-guessing what you're doing and you realize, like, man, everything needs to work in, together in order to really have a championship team. And so we had all of these pieces that we were trying to build, but we just couldn't quite figure it out. So um, the one cool thing is, like, I think we only lost at home, like, twice in that whole stretch, you know, so there was something there. But, you know, going to those away environments were a little bit unique, especially when you're a big dog on top. You got that target on your back. Every game that you play in, in someone else's environment, someone else's home, it's like you trying to go into their house, take the remote and watch TV, right? And they're going to take that personal. And so you got to up your level, play at, a, at another level, man, at another degree. And uh, there's no time or no rest for the weary at that standpoint. Yeah, so you mentioned this next question I had. Uh, you mentioned both these schools. But so you got a day game against South Carolina and Florida State. Which one was absolutely – like more miserable for you? Um, it would be South Carolina. Yeah. Uh, just because I mean, look, those those kids get inebriated, they get drunk, you know, they're about life. You know, half the theory will get arrested anyway, so they don't care. But you know, Florida State was a little <laughs> bit interesting. Um, you know, we go in, we played them over there. It was a night game, and um, we score three plays into the game. Or throw a deep post to, to Newt Hopkins, and it was the first time they've been scored on all season. And you know the whole Dope Campbell Stadium just gets absolutely you know quiet, bro. You can hear a pin drop within there, and it was like that the whole first half. I mean, we were up by like any given moment, fourteen to twenty-one points, you know. So there was none of that that the Seminole chant. There was none of that. And then open kickoff. Um, I think Chris Thompson. One of those guys returns to kick off like 95 yards, gets down to the two-yard line. They score, um, and everything changed. And, you know, next thing you know, I take the, the snap for the next series, man. I'm going to the line of scrimmage, and I'm seeing these guys up front, and Nigel Bradham and some of, some of these other dogs, 
and I finally see them for what they are. All right, they got smoke coming out of their nose. They got drool coming out of their mouth. Uh, I see gold teeth and tattoos everywhere. I'm like, damn, <laughs> we're in the thick of it now, you know. And they dig them cleats into the ground a little bit. And so you knew that it was a different – they had a different mindset than what they had in the first half. And so you're just trying to weather that storm a little bit, but sometimes, man, it just gets a little bit too much for you. Um, but, you know, it, it was only until they started to grab, grab that momentum is when we heard that stadium come to life. Now, South Carolina, you go in there, and it's just nonstop, man. Um, you know, they got those damn white towels swinging in the air. And, you know, they got people throwing beer cans, throwing batteries at the fans in the stands. And, you know, they're cussing, you know, and saying stuff about your mom or your dad in the middle of the play. It is absolute chaos, man. So, you know, I know it's a rivalry, man, but they take it a little bit too far on that side of it sometimes, you know. Yeah, so sticking with South Carolina, so how important is that state championship game between you guys? I mean, now, like you said, they're trash, so it's not really a rivalry. But back when you were there, there were some battles. So that state championship meant a little bit more back then, right? Oh, for sure, man. Um, it was it was huge. And I, and I didn't know. Like, I didn't know anything about South Carolina um, when I got here. So I didn't realize how big this game was to the state and what it meant to the people. I mean, you know, they got the house divided flag, and I thought all that was cute and everything until I realized that people literally don't talk to each other in a family. Like, they don't speak. Um, it becomes a whole deal. People wear it for a whole year. And this whole state is divided up into two teams. You don't see much Georgia here. There's no Florida. There's no Florida State. It's literally Clemson and South Carolina. Uh, for example, like two weeks ago, I go to support one of the local businesses out here. And, you know, I don't know. I probably take 20, 25 pictures a day, somewhere around that range. And this guy walks up, and he's a Carolina fan. And he's like, hey, can I take a picture with you? And I'm like, yeah, sure, man. No big deal. He tries to five bomb me. And what that meant was like, they beat us five times in a row, and so they decided to do this deal where they would throw up a five. And so they got me a few times. They got, you know, Coach Sweeney a few times. They got even Danny Ford, who wasn't even a part of it. Now he's back in the 80s, you know, when he's coaching. And they got him, you know, and uh, it's their claim to fame with their, their, you know, their pride stamp and everything. And, you know, they still do that, man. And it's, a, it's a big deal to the people around here, man. So uh, you look back on it and you realize that, you know, it becomes more than just a game. Um, but, you know, I also encounter people from different fan bases all the time. And, you know, the, the beauty of college football is like, you know, everybody can agree that something happens special on Saturdays. And regardless of, of who you root for, man, you know, you just want college football to exist because of the purity of the sport, you know. So, you know, people ask me all the time and, and I would see them just hunker down to their chairs. We talk about some of their favorite players from opposing teams and they just light up, you know. So it's cool for me because I have a unique perspective on it. Um, and I'm, I'm thankful for that, man, because as a kid, all I wanted to do was figure out how to play football as long as possible. Mm -hmm. And the fact that I was able to do it at such a high level, man, was, was everything for me. So um, mm -hmm. blessed, for sure. It was fun. Yeah. You kind of – you were going through your college career as I think Mike and I both got into college and you, so you were kind of wrapping up. And so it was fun to watch. Um, I know – I don't want to speak on behalf of everyone in Columbus, Ohio, but you put a nice little thorn in Urban Side a couple of times. You personally, and then um, Coach Sweeney's got his number, and uh, so uh, definitely Clemson Tigers are uh, the Columbus fans. Like Ohio State fans will say, there's a rivalry there, but um, no. I think you can't really say it because they have never beat Clemson. So um, you definitely have their number there. So going into next season. Uh, I can't wait for it to start. Who's your top four? Top four? Um, you can be a homer. You can throw Clemson at one. Yeah, I, you know one. what? I'm going to do Clemson at one. Um, I would say Ohio State two. Okay. Bama three. And... I hate to throw another SEC team in here, but, I, you know, I'm going to go – I'm going to jump off the deep end with this one because I had to double down on this a while back. I'm going to take take Auburn at four. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So, so you see big things out of Bo next this year, huh? Yeah, man. Hey, look, I'm banking on it too, bro. I said – because, you know, they just got Chad Morris as the OC. 
And he was not yeah. going to see a you know. And everybody was like, well, he sucked at the Arkansas. He didn't win at SMU. And I'm like, look, man, like, those were different positions. You know, he was the head coach at both of those universities. Um, I don't know him as the head coach. I know him as the OC. And mm-hmm. so many times, like, people got to factor in. Like, they, gotta, they can't forget that those are two different duties, you know. I can't speak on him as the head coach because I don't know how he managed those tasks. It's a different managerial position, right? So you got to oversee all these different things. And you got to be comfortable enough to let your guys do their jobs, you know. It's the same thing as, like, the CEO not trusting his sales reps and he's going in and, you know, overstepping those boundaries or overtopping the sales reps when they're trying to get deals done. Um, you don't create confidence within that team. And I don't know if that's what he did, but I'm just saying that it could shift in that sort of way, man, and, and it ripples throughout the rest of the team. So, you know, with him having one job and that's to be the OC and the quarterback coach, I see very good things happening simply because they got a lot of weapons at their disposal. Plus, they got the fastest kid in the SEC over there with Anthony Schwartz, you know. So you get a guy like that who can take the top off of the defense. You add in bowl with another year. The tricky part for all of this, though, is I think the only teams that are going to succeed are the teams that are doing what they need to do right now. Um, and, that's, and that's tough because these coaches can't monitor necessarily what these players are doing. Uh, mm-hmm. with, with COVID, you know? Right. And so, you know, I know we're all talking about this as if the season's going to be certain, and I'm sure there's going to be games played for sure. Um, but you hate to see what it looks like if this gets prolonged into mid-June, which is probably the most vital time for a team. You know, your, your team isn't mm-hmm. won or built when the coaches are around. All right? Your team is built when it's all player-led. All right, and that happens in the first summer session. And so you have, you know, your mid-years that got there in January, coupled in with the kids that got there for, you know, who just, they went to prom, they did all that, enjoyed that festivities, but now they're there for the first time. And then you got your leaders, right? This is the first time where there's no coaches, you know, out there. There's, you know, you got a strength coach and you got the team. And so you had a crop of players that just left, that just got drafted, and you're trying to figure out who's going to fill that void, who's going to step up in those roles. And, you know, for the first time, you get to see what it looks like from a leadership standpoint. And you can't cheat those guys. I mean, those guys are working with you every day, man. They're going to study hall, going to class. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they're going to the dining hall. They're working out with you, and now they're seeing you on the field. And so you can't take shortcuts there because now they know that you're shorting them. And so you see the growth of the team happen in the summer session. But you also have a lot of accountability there too, right? And so now you got kids at home who don't have access to things that they need to have access to in order to, you know, do what coach, you know, prompted them to do after spring ball. You know, after spring ball, you know, generally speaking, you're going to have a, a list of things that you need to accomplish. You know, some guys need to lose weight, some guys need to gain weight, some guys need to build muscle mass, and all of that can happen with the right nutrition, with the right weight room, and everything else. You got to take those steps forward, but now you eliminate that because nobody can be on campus, nobody can be working out, and you're expecting these kids to do that on their own, and they're not pros yet, right? Have no doubt that pros can handle themselves and conduct themselves the way they need to. It's because they get paid to do that. They are pros at what they do. They know how to put the work in. Now you're asking a, a group of kids who are 18, 19, 20, who don't necessarily need their hand held but they also don't know what it looks like to do it on their own for them to go out there and be pros. And there's so much, it's such a big ask. You know, some mm-hmm. kids don't have the necessary dietary means to be able to do that. You know, instead of eating, you know, chicken and potatoes and, and everything else, they, they're eating oatmeal cream pies and, you know, strawberry shortcakes, you know, mm-hmm. that's just forcing the beast, man. But, you know, I, whoever handles this best right now and who can, find a way to manage their teams and hold their teammates accountable on the teams that find success. Excuse me. Yeah, I was going to say, my so the strength coach when I was at Villanova, he always used to say, uh, you know, championships aren't, uh, are won in the, I mean, let me get that right. Championships aren't won in the summer sessions, but they can be lost. So this, that's, it's the most important time because that's when, you know, you, like you said, you, you come together as a team and you build those relationships and you build that accountability. So it is interesting. It is, 
it is uncharted waters for everybody. So you hope that the top programs are taking care of business as they should. But, um, but we'll, so your, your preseason number one, and I think a lot of people's preseason number one is Clemson. So what, how good do you think they can be in 2020? What's your outlook for them is, I mean, it's getting to the point where it's like yeah. playoff or bust for them. So, yeah, well, the best thing that probably could happen would be Ohio State loss, right? You know, you, I mean, this team has been, you know, unbelievable. Um, you know, they've, they've won games and not lost many. And, you know, on the biggest stage, Trevor Lawrence didn't perform at the level that you want him to. And so, mm-hmm. you know, it would be different if he went out there and threw for 400 yards and five touchdowns and walked out of there and looked like a hero. But, you know, he didn't have a great game. And so now he takes that personal, right? And he wants to go out and show everybody that he's the best player in college football. <coughs> Man, that ain't the COVID right there. All right, it's just a cough. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he wants to show everybody that he's the best player in college football. So what is he going to do? He's going to go, man. He's going he's gonna to work on his craft. He's going to hit the gym a little bit harder. He's going to be on the field a lot more. He's going to break down that film a little bit more in depth. And so I think now we're going to see an alternate – version of Trevor Lawrence, right? He's going to go full on Super Saiyan, all right? You know, you like that Dragon Ball Z reference right there, right? I like yeah. that. So, I love that. I like that one. We're going to see Trevor Lawrence go full on Super Saiyan, but then you also get Travis Etienne back, right? Probably the number one running back in the country when it's uh, all said and done uh, this next football season. And so you look at a guy who has always came in led by example, but now he has the opportunity to lead vocally as well with some of the younger guys behind him. And so, you know what the idea is, you know what the mission is, and now you got to put the work in to get it done. And so I think we just see an energized team, a recharged team, a team with a purpose um, that's going to go out there and get stuff done. So excited about them and excited about, you know, some of the, the revisions that they're going to make on defense. They got the number one player in high school that committed Brian Greasy, and he looks like a man already. I mean, he's – 18 years old, but he's 6'5", he's 300 pounds, but he moves like whatever. Uh, he dunks the basketball, and a guy like that can come in and make an instant impact, right? Secondary, you know, you got some young guys in there, but a secondary is only as good as the D-line, all right? And so, you know, you got a revamp D-line that's going to put pressure and wreak havoc on quarterbacks and give these young guys an opportunity to understand, you know, what the flow looks like back there playing in coverage. So um, I think you got a really well-balanced football team. The big concern, obviously, is the O-line, though. Um, they only got one starter coming back, and it's Jackson Carmen. As you guys, he's an Ohio, Ohio boy, um, the left tackle. And you got a brand-new left guard. You got a brand-new center, right guard, right tackle. And so, you know, doing it in practice is one thing. You know, going out there and, and, and proving in the game is a different beast. And, you know, the one thing that I would credit Sweeney on um, is being able to play a lot of his guys. And I think they have fortune in that, playing in some of the games that they do. But all these guys have had live reps before, but it's a little bit different when you're now the guy running out there, you know, when the whistle blows and you're out there for that first snap. So as long as those guys can hold up, man, keep Trevor clean, give Trevor, uh, give Travis Etienne, you know, the holes he needs to be able to make stuff happen, they're going to be very successful. Um, if they can't get out there and they can't move anybody, then obviously Clemson will have trouble there. So, uh, But I think they got all the pieces, man. They got Amari Rodgers back at wide receiver. Um, it's huge, man, because he is one of the best leaders um, in college football altogether. I mean, this guy is just a workhorse, man. Justin Ross, who had so many high expectations, but you know he didn't live up to those last year as well. So you got some guys that have something to prove, and uh, now this is their opportunity. So I think they'll be able to salvage that and make the most of it. I totally forgot how um, how the mind of a quarterback works when the first thing, most important thing, went right to the offensive line. I'm over here sitting as a as a spectator, as a fan now, my head's so far removed from football, um, thinking that the hardest hardest person to uh, replace next year is going to be Simmons, and I completely forgot about the offensive line. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But Simmons is uh, Simmons is unique. <clears throat> I will say. Before the season last year, I'm not sitting here saying that, you know, I should be doing palm readings or anything. But, <clears throat> I mean, obviously we knew. And if you watched this film, like, you knew how special and unique he was. A guy that's able 
damn, you know. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Over there? <laughs> yeah. Popcorn or something, man. I feel like Brucey from my <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> a guy who can do it all. I play safety, linebacker. Uh, he can play wide receiver. He was a track champion in the state of Kansas in high school. I mean, this guy's a hybrid um, at his finest. He's he's a bigger Telvin Smith. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I saw some mocks of him being picked up by Jacksonville. I think that would be wise. I mean, I would do whatever I can to get him because obviously I think that Jacksonville has talent. But you know, you need a guy like that that can be able to be, you know, that that versatile um, all over the place. Um, but yeah, losing Isaiah is huge. Losing Kayvon Wallace is huge. Losing Tanner Muse is huge. I mean, all of these guys are, are big time ball players, man, who led at a very high level. But you know, you're going to have an opportunity to, you know, put guys in position. But uh, if your offense is clicking, man, that gives your time, your defense time to grow and vice versa. You know, if you got a young offense and your defense playing at a high level, you know, they're not going to give up too many points. So that gives your offense a, a time to gel there. But Things gonna be flip side on this one right here. So Pumps is gonna put up, you know, major points. Got a lot of talent. Got a lot of young boys in there, and um, excited to see that. But you know, you can't <clears throat> you can't replace an Isaiah Simmons, right? Because he's one of a kind. But you find guys in there that do their jobs, um, that be where they need to be, do what they're supposed to do, and you'll be just fine from there. You know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, kind of got into a little bit of draft talk there. We want to circle back to that, but I want to, I want to get a your favorite, uh, appropriate or fun, favorite funny uh, Dabo story. Um, your time. So many, bro. He just he doesn't lose an argument, you know. <laughs> and, and everybody, you know, see this guy and they think he's he's goofy, the jokester. Bro, he's relentless. You know, we had this guy. Uh, my freshman year, Brandon Clear, right? He was on, remember the, the show um, Friday Night Lights with Hoover, Hoover High School? Yeah. yeah. And, and in Alabama, yeah, Rush Post with the head coach. And uh, mm-hmm. we had a receiver that went to high school who was at Clemson. We're playing like North Texas or somebody like that. And uh, he calls up like, hey, Clear, come here. Going in the game. And Clear was – the route concept was a dagger concept. So the inside receivers run the vert, outside guys run the dig at about 18 to 20, you know. And, mm-hmm. and and clear was supposed to be the clear out guy, right? And generally speaking, like, that guy is never in the read. You feel me? Like, that is a clear out guy to move that safety a little bit so you can hit that dig right behind him. But mm-hmm. when he was like, clear, I need you to run a vert. I need you to get on the toes. I need you to get there fast. Bend it a little bit because you'll be wide up before a touchdown. And he looks at him, he's like, you got me? And dude, look, the coach went in, he's like, yeah, 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 I got you. So he was like, you sure? He's like, yeah, I got you, coach. He's like, all right, sends him out there. I think he runs like a, a, a post corner, an out route. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy, bro. And I didn't see coach throw his head, set his hat, and he just lost it. And the quarterback gets sacked, you know, something out of the movie, man. And uh, he comes back. And the receiver comes back to the sideline and Coach Sweeney's just glaring. And he doesn't run towards him, he runs to the other side of the sideline. You know, <laughs> and he's sitting there, he got his hands on the tip, he's just shaking his head. He's looking at a script, shaking his head, and he just takes off down there, bro. He blisters this guy, you know. And this is like first quarter. Second quarter rolls around, got his hands on his hip, shaking his head again. He sees the receiver again. He walks down there, blisters him again. I'm like, damn, you know, this guy's relentless. Halftime, we get there. And, you know, he's talking. He's like, all right, guys, this is, you know, what we need to do, blah, blah, blah. Going through all the changes, X and O's. He, he looks again. He shakes his head. He's like, damn it. And you over there? I was like, oh, man. He went on it for like two weeks after that, man. <laughs> <laughs> relentless. Oh my gosh, relentless man! But you know that's how he lives his life. You know that's what makes him so successful, man. It's so funny, but you don't forget anything, man. And uh, you know he's uh, he's one of those OGs, bro. He's super funny, comical actually, a lot, man. So yeah, some of my stories. I mean, I got some other ones in there too. Sometimes, you know, some PG here, you know, trying to. Yeah, I got you. So being a you know being a former quarterback doing at such a high level, who do you think's gonna be? 
who do you think is going to be the guy in this year's draft class? I don't know. I mean, I'm a believer in Joe. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, you got a lot of people right now who are saying that, you know, the one surefire pick is Justin Herbert out of Oregon. I, mean, I don't know if that's the case, bro, to be completely honest. Like, I love, I love Justin Herbert. Um, you know, the guys in the Super Bowl, Jim Nagy and the boys will pay the same. Um, but, you know, from what I've seen from Joe, I mean, he showed me all he needed to show me um, in this one year. Mm-hmm. I mean, sure, was he 27 years old playing college football? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. um, nah, what was he, 23? I think he's 24. 24. He's a grown man out here. Whatever, yep. though. <laughs> he doesn't have any class. He's breaking downfield. Whatever it may be, man. But the way he plays the game um, was advanced in comparison to uh, any other quarterback in college football this year. Um, mm-hmm. His preparation, his poise, you know, the way he conducts himself within the pocket, he doesn't get to the point where he gets happy feet and moves all over the place. He'll slide from tackle box to tackle box if you need to just to make sure that he has time. So seeing all those different things. What was scary about him, you know, was my concern going into that LSU championship game with Clemson, was that he's not – his biggest threat is not when he's in the pocket. Yeah. All right. He's more scary when he's out the pocket. All right. Yeah. And it's because, you know, he is really, really good at improvisation, you know, or improv. Um, he can, you know, find the mismatches. He's like, uh, you remember Madden when they used to do those QB deals where you would narrow in, you were wide, and based off of, you know, who the quarterback was, if it was Peyton Manning, it would be such and such, and if it was, you know, me or Bruce Gradkowski, it would be small. You feel me? One of those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, it was it was one of those deals. Mad QB vision. And his is yeah. off the charts, bro. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, what I don't really look for – a lot of of that. Um, I look for guys that are willing to lay it out there on the line. And, you know, Connor Shaw, for example, you know, didn't go on to have a stellar pro career. He was a really good quarterback, really good college quarterback for sure. Yeah. Um, but the same thing that I saw in him, I see in Joe. All right. And, and, some, and you find it here and there, but, you know, the guys, you know, that are willing to lay their bodies out there uh, for the greater good, are guys that teams are going to believe in, that the players in the locker room are going to believe in. And I always wanted to model my game that way. I always wanted to play that way um, because how can I ask for something for my guys when I'm not willing to do it myself, you know? And Joe does that. And Joe, when he was taking them shots in that first quarter against Clemson and he got rattled for the first time of the year and his head was down, and I thought he was going to fold. And I, dog, he stood up, he put his suit jacket on, put his tie up, and he went to work and said, damn, God's built for something. So, damn, he's not Andy Dalton. They got to stop that damn thing right there, you know? Yeah. Uh, he's not Kirk Cousins. Like, all of these guys, to me, <clears throat> and, you know, Andy Dalton, for whatever reason, could be the worst quarterback in the league, and nobody's going to say it. He flies under the radar better than anybody I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. But he would never blame anybody, right? He's not going to blame you know, his receiver or his own line or any of that. So he holds himself to a higher standard. He's accountable. Um, he, he's a winner. Um, he leads. I like the guy. It's the best quarterback mm-hmm. in the draft. That's my surefire pick at quarterback. You know, some of these other guys make sure they could work, but a lot of it is right time, right place, right system, all of these different nuances. And if you want a guy who is going to earn respect from the way he works from day one, then, yeah, you bring him to the world. Yep. I like it. I got you. Sold me. Um, but so who's who's the who's one of the guys that you're seeing this like kind of sleep flying under the radar? That's like a sleeper. I know you mentioned Tanner Muse. That dude was a baller at Clemson, but I don't think he's kind of on like draft boards as high as he probably should be. But who's a guy that you're looking at this kind of under the radar that's going to blow up and be, you know, a star in the league? Um, in this in this uh, draft class. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ooh. Probably AJ Dillon from Boston College. Okay, right, he's a running back, <clears throat> and he does. Uh, he has a lot of mileage. I'm not gonna lie to you. He's get like 40 carries a game, but whatever. Um, the guy is the guy's a workhorse, bro, and he's a monster. And you know, 
he would do whatever it takes out there as well. Catches the ball well out of the backfield, picks up blitz pro uh, better than a lot of guys in the league. Um, he wants to be great, you know. When you go to Boston College, man, and you play at a university where you're not going to get the respect that you want every week, but yet you're still willing to put the team on your back. I mean, it says something. And so, you know, I think whatever team gets him is going to get a guy who's willing to put the work in, first and foremost. But um, you're not going to have a problem with humility there as well. And that's what you're looking for. Um, you know, so many guys get, you know, they go and the first thing they get is, you know, whatever Range Rover, G-Wagon, watch, whatever. And it's like they arrived from the moment that they stepped on campus or not campus, but the first time they stepped in that locker room. And, you know, just from, from personal experience, like that's what you didn't want to see. Um, you know, Calvin Pryor from the Jets, I mean, he walked in and, he, you know, he's like, pockets deep. And the vets didn't respect that right off the back, you know? And yeah. when you got some of these guys, I mean, you're looking for so many different things. But I, mean, I think that A.J. Dillon can go in and find success um, in whatever team that he lands at. Um, you know, somebody asked me, like, who would you pick up in fantasy? And I said, I would pick up Ronald Jones from Tampa Bay in fantasy, you know, who would like my first or second pick or my second round pick. Um, mm-hmm. and I don't want to jump the subjects here, but you know, you look at a guy like that who's had some success within the NFL and then you add Tom Brady to that mix, right? And you got a guy who is, you know, the ultimate craftsman, um, the ultimate leader. And it's finding guys who are going to maximize the talent around them. And so a guy like that is going to thrive um, more so than people think as well going forward. So, you know, I like him. I like a lot of these guys, man. Um, there's a lot of time to look at, actually, the leaderboard, too. I think that uh, – I think that T. Higgins, bro, you know, from Clemson, I mean, he's probably off to the second round. And a lot of people talk about his – you know, his long speed and everything else that nature. But the one thing that a lot of players lack in the NFL is jump ball um, capability, all right? If you're pressed and you're one-on-one, can I fend this guy off, put this guy on my back, climb the, climb the, the ladder like I'm a basketball player and hot point the football? Well, T. Higgins can do that. And, and it was so crazy because, you know, you look at Mike Williams, who's out of the Chargers, his first year, everybody was like, well, this guy isn't what people thought that he was. And he was. Right, hello, mm-hmm. old ass. Didn't know how to utilize. Him. All right, <laughs> what are you doing? Right, you're throwing to, to Travis Benjamin down there. You got Mike Williams on the outside. You're sick, you know. And so, yeah, um, Higgins is going to be that, bro. Uh, he runs clean routes, man. He high points the football. He's bigger than people think. And so, a guy like that who's going to fall to the second is going to surprise so many teams, man. It's going to be unbelievable. So, uh, excited for him too. I got you. I appreciate that. Um, so, Taj, I know you just did some great things in your own community. I wanted to give you a little bit of time here to talk about, you know, your foundation. I know you just did a, a great thing. You donated groceries to about 150 families in your area. So I just wanted to give you a little bit of a platform to talk about what's going on with your foundation and how people can get involved to help out and everything like that. Yeah, I mean, I started a, a nonprofit organization um, like three weeks after I left or three weeks after I finished up um, from Clemson. Uh, really wanted to get that set in stone, contribute back to the community that contributed so much to me. Um, all of this, though, you know, my nonprofit, you know, my, my love for people, community. The reason that I understand how important it is is because I'm a product of that. You know, I grew up in Hampton Roads, Virginia. Um, and, bro, it was so amazing to grow up in that space. I mean, I went to middle school with E.J. Manuel, my rival in high school with Tyrod Taylor. I played Little League in my freshman year of high school with Percy Harvin. You know, Cam Chancellor was the homie from down the street. You got D. Hall, you got the Vicks, you got Ronald Curry, you got Allen Iverson, Alonzo Morton, the Vicks. Bro, endless, you know, endless talent around you. And you would go to the gas station at 7-Eleven and you were running to Bruce Smith. And so guys like that, guy like Kwame Lasseter, who was at Kansas, but passed, he passed away. Um, I don't know, a couple years ago. So I reached out to his son. And I was like, hey, man, like you might not know me, but I just want you to know that your dad had an impact on me that lasted forever. And so understanding what that platform looks like, man, like I just wanted to, to do something. Like if I knew I was going to be in the area, you know, how can I bloom where I'm planted and create some positive change um, that could last uh, a lifetime? And so the things that we're doing within the community are really cool. You know, I got some bigger visions for 
the organization itself going forward. But really, man, it's just, you know, how do I contribute to society, man, for the greater good? Um, and so, man, I'm, I'm so thankful for, you know, the people that have been involved, the people that have been trusting me to, you know, spend time with them. But more importantly, man, like, I'm doing it because I had it. All right. And I'm not who I am without the people contributing in my life in some form or fashion. And it's everybody that I encounter, you know, some of these people want to want to take, you know, the good from the bad. And they want to cancel people that weren't nice to them or, or good to them in the past or they want to give too much credit for the people that were kind to them. And it's, you know, you're an accumulation of all of that, you know. And so it was me taking all these different things, all of these experiences that I had and trying to pay that forward, you know. So it's important for me, man. It's important to my family. And, uh, man, just trying to do something good out here. So it's cool. It's cool, man. I'm thankful for it. Yeah, that's awesome, man. We wow. uh, we, we certainly noticed that and appreciate that. Yeah. And, well, Matt, you got you got anything else for Taj here? We wanna we don't want to hold up too much of your time here on this Friday night. I know you probably are, right. got a lot of great plans going on. Yeah, right. During this quarantine. <laughs> Um, no, just want to maybe just conclude and see, you know, if there's any, any way that any of our listeners, <laughs> we don't have the biggest following, but um, we got some loyal friends and family that are listening. If there's anyone, any ways to, you know, contribute um, to your organization, how can we, uh, how can we do that? You go to aimchallenge.com, man, or you just, you know, tell them to reach out to me, uh, social media. Um, okay. You know, it's crazy, man, because, you know, people think that I got this uh, ultimate wisdom, and sometimes I do, man, but it's usually after 12 o'clock and I had 12 bourbons, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I become a psychologist, you know. Hey, man, I it sounds like a great day to me. <laughs> you know? Yeah, you know. Um, but no, bro, I just, I would tell anybody, man, you know, just you know, appreciate everything. Appreciate everything that's happened to your life, man. Um, because that's, that's a part of you. It will be forever. And you know, I think that experiences and moments shared are important. Uh, I think podcasts are important um, because, you know, when it's all said and done, you know, whatever that happened to you in your life, whatever experience that you've had, somebody's experienced something similar, right? And, you know, if they haven't, well, now they got an opportunity to hear it firsthand from you and, and learn from it. But, you know, whatever we go through, bro, like, we don't take that with us, you know, it, it, it dies, you know, the moment that we do. And so if we can create some narrative, create some conversation and some dialogue that's going to affect one person, then we never realize, you know, how much that could affect other people. You know, it's just from you sharing with one person, man. So continue to share, continue to do good things, man. You continue to do this podcast. I mean, it's important. Um, and, you know, you do things, man, you create value. And you be genuine and authentic with it, man. I'm just going to grow. If not, hell, just keep pushing the issue. You know, Gary Vee, I don't know. I don't listen to him all the time. I don't even listen to him that much anymore. But, you know, he recorded however many wine shows, you know, wine club to get to where he's at. All right. Same thing with guys like Grant Cardone. Same things with other people that made impact. Um, but when it's all said and done, bro, you don't got to impact the masses. You just got to impact deeply. All right. And so, you know, that's what it's all about. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And I mean, I think, you know, we we thank you for coming on here. This was awesome. Uh, take some time out of your day. And, you know, we uh, we really appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, man, keep keep do- fighting the good fight and doing good things. I know you put out some phenomenal uh, motivational posts on Instagram, so everybody should uh, follow him on Instagram. I think it's at Tajboy10. Is that right, yeah, Taj? Sure. And, uh, yeah, so he – he gets me going every morning. I, I, whenever I wake up, I see his stories and it's some super deep and awesome quote. So it's, it's definitely worth the follow just to get that going. But Taj, we thank you again, man. This was awesome. Yep. Uh, Look, we'll do uh we'll do a virtual shotgun contest. And, um, you know, not back a couple of beers that way. And then when everything clears up, bro, we'll go play some golf somewhere. I'm kind of shitty, but well, we can figure it out. Yes. You know? It doesn't matter if we're we can be shitty. outside. <laughs> That's all that matters right now. <laughs> Yeah, man. If if your game starts going, you just start drinking more, and then you enjoy it. Exactly. You know, the walk, the walk into the woods to find your ball isn't so bad after a while. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The swings get a little bit looser, exactly. but Taj, again, man, we thank you. This was awesome. 
Uh, stay safe, stay healthy, and uh, we'll talk to you awesome, soon. Man. Appreciate yep. you guys. Take guys, care. Keep time. Beers. Thanks, man. Cut out the clock.